I grew up in Gresham. I went to Hollydale Elementary, used to ride my bike up Eastman Parkway. I still remember when they opened up Gresham Station, swam in the Sandy River, graduated from Gresham High School. And from downtown Gresham to the view we have of Mount Hood, there has always been something unique about this town. But what's funny is, growing up, Gresham was the place you moved away from. You never stayed in Gresham. So that's just what I did. I moved away, got married. We had our first son and I had no plan to return. But God had a different plan. When God called me back, there was something different about this city. New businesses, new families, a certain buzz was stirring. As I've helped to plant Rise City Church right in the heart of Gresham, I have seen God move in ways that I never dreamed of. I've watched as young adults were willing to sleep in their cars just to be part of the movement. I've watched as fathers baptize their entire family, literal generations getting saved. I've seen scruffy-headed teenagers grow into men of God, leading this next generation in our city into a brighter future than I ever imagined when I first walked these streets. This has been the kind of move of God that you only hear about often other stories of other places. But it's not happening in some other place. It has been happening right here in our city. Hearts are being awakened. Lives are being restored. Trajectories are being altered because Jesus is moving in Gresham as it is in heaven. Ooh, if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. Oh man, God is moving, amen? What a celebration last week was. You guys enjoy that? I did. I did. Uh, celebrating 10 people getting baptized. We had somewhere between 900 and 950 people gathered together. Uh, we had Zach Sweats. We had, uh, you know, all the, the, the whole spectrum of it. And so we're entering into a series right now uh, called Win This City. And what we mean by this is that Jesus would reign in this city. He told us to pray. And he told us what we should pray. We should pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that is what we, we believe as the church we should move towards, a holistic renewal of our city, the reign of King Jesus in our city. People would know it and would experience it. And here, here's what it looks like. Because the church is living its calling. What's it call, What's its calling? To reach the nations, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. Our city is being renewed and lives are being transformed. That's what we mean when we say win this city. And so we are rallying together over this next four weeks uh, on this series called Win the City of, of what does it look like for us to be on mission? What does it look like for us to bring the gospel? What does it look like for us to rally together, invite people into the church, uh, call them to be disciples of Jesus. Now, if you're going to see a city transformation, a gospel transformation of the city, uh, there is a four-way intersection, four things that are vital to it. And I want to explain those. You can't just have one or two. You need holistically all of these. First, you need gospel declaration, okay? So you actually have to preach the gospel. It is a good news of what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished, that he came and he walked this earth 
He lived a perfect life, giving us a glimpse into the eternal reality that we can experience, that he died on our behalf, and he rose again, conquering over death. We have to preach that. It's a story that must be told. We cannot just say, like, hey, we're trying to win the culture. We need a Christian culture. Or, you know, of all the religions, Christianity has to win. On. No, no, no. We need to be people that tell the story of God redeeming and restoring all things through Jesus. This is what we bring. Here's the second thing. We need a gospel display. So, yes, we preach the gospel, but we also need to display it. We need to live it out through acts of service and sacrifice and generosity. If the gospel... The story of God restoring all things through Jesus, if it's true, then our city should actually look different, right? Families should be different. Marriages should be different. Children should be brought up in a different way. Healing, addiction, all that kind of stuff. We need to actually put the gospel on display by the way we love people, by the way we invest in our community and, and schools and parks and all these things. So, so you declare it, you display it, but then people have to experience it. You need a gospel experience. And what I mean is that their lives are actually being transformed, that they can say, no, my life is different because I met Jesus, I, because I was welcomed into his family. They're experiencing it in their marriage. They're experiencing it in wounds of their past. They're experiencing it in addictions for today. They come into this building. They come into this space. They walk with Jesus, and they're like, there's something different here. The level of grace, peace, forgiveness, healing, love, rejoicing with those who rejoice, grieving with those who grieve. You should actually be, it should be tangible in their lives. And lastly, and this is something that um, we forget often, we need gospel partnerships. And here's what I mean by that. To see a city transformed, it's not about a church, it's about the church, okay? And so we have a mission to see our city saturated with the gospel. One church can't do that. It takes all churches living out mission, preaching the gospel, loving their city, and that we would partner together with other churches and other like-minded prophets, uh, non-profits that are, that are bringing about gospel renewal in our city. And so even in the coming weeks, we're going to share some of our relationships with church plants and with uh, non-profits, things like My Father's House and Laundry Love. What, what tangible good are we doing that we're coming around not saying, hey, we need to reinvent the wheel. We need to be the ones that do everything. No, how can we come along what's already happening and support and partner together? Now, if you have these four things, you can start to see holistic gospel transformation. But if you just have one of these, uh, you're, you're missing it. Like, let's say you just have gospel proclamation or declaration. You're just sharing the gospel. Well, then you're just on the street. You're bullhorn guy. You're just making noise. You know what I'm talking about? Like, everybody walks past and like, oh, man, this guy is so, like, what he's saying is true. But he's not saying it in a way that, it, that brings about truth. He's not saying it in a way that actually puts it on display. If all you're doing is displaying the gospel by serving, then you're just a community service organization. That's what's happened to a lot of churches. That we just need to serve our community. Yeah, you serve them, but you also have to preach the good news. There has to be hope for eternity. You have to be a place where you actually experience it. And if you're isolated and alone, then you just turn inward. And you're like, hey, we, we partner with our denomination or we partner with our network. And so the these are people in our theological tribe we agree with, and that's who we partner together. No, no, we have a mission for the city. And so we have a deeper partnership with churches of a different background 
or even, you know, even times different theology, if we agree on the gospel, then we are in partnership together to bring the kingdom here in Gresham. That's what it looks like to win the city. Make sense? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we live that out? So here's what we're going to do, is we're going to look at a passage today. It's a longer passage. It's in Acts chapter 16. And it's a story of this guy, Paul, who is, a, he's an apostle, and he, he wrote pretty much half of the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar with the apostle Paul. And, but what he did was he went around planting churches beyond Jerusalem. Every, everybody else had their little holy huddle, and they were like, no, where Jesus sent, you know, told us to go spread the gospel, but we're just going to stay here. It's comfortable. But he went to, from city to city to city, planting churches. He was, he was a missionary. And so we're going to read the scriptures, and we're going to learn from him. Now, it's, it's a long passage, but I want you to pay attention because we're going to have three stories. We're going to meet a gal named Lydia, and we're going to see how she got saved. And then we're going to meet this, this slave girl and see how she was healed. And then we're going to see a Philippian jailer. And, and, and how, how Paul walks through all, all these. Acts 16, starting in verse 9. You can grab a Bible and follow along, or you can follow along on the screen. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set up for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they go to this city called Philippi. And so if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, uh, there's a book called Philippians. And this, this a letter he wrote to the church that gets planted out of this journey. Pick it up the end of 12. He says, so we stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. And God opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her husband were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Then we move to the next section, the slave girl. Verse 16, once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the most high God. She did this for many days. Uh, I love this. This is, this is great when you find these kind of things in Scripture. Paul was greatly annoyed. You're like, okay, this is written, Acts is written by Luke. You know, you know Paul read it. And they're like, come on, Luke, really? You're going to put that in the Bible? Like, Paul was greatly annoyed, right? Paul had small children. Okay, uh, Turning <laughs> to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope, for, hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. Our city is being transformed. Our city is being changed. And they didn't like it. They are Jews and they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. 
The crowd joined in the attacks against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Now we're going to meet the Philippian jailer. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the jail, foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew out his sword and he was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for light, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. And rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. See, here's the first thing that we need to understand. That you and I are God's means for advancing God's mission. You are the missionary to our city. It's not the church, I need you to know, is God's plan A. And there is no plan B. This is how God is going to bring about his mission. And, and it's, it's just ironic to me. I'll read these articles, these people talking about, oh man, the church is dying. The church's influence is waning. And I'm sorry, but that, there's no way that's true. You know why? Because Jesus said he would build his church. He will continue to reach people with the gospel. And what we've seen is what they call the secularization of our society, where people say, you know what? We've moved beyond things like religion and we've advanced into things like science and health. And, 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 you know, we have peace and we've moved beyond all these things. And then the last two years have happened and people are questioning all of that. One of the terms you're going to start to hear more often is the idea of we now live in a post-secular society where people are like, yeah, we tried that and it didn't work. And what we're experiencing and what we're seeing is people showing up to churches in droves because they're like, the world is falling apart and I'm looking for hope. And so what is God's plan for reaching those people? It's the church that we would be declarers and displayers of the gospel. Like participate with me a little bit, okay? Just raise your hand if God used another person in your life to draw you to Jesus to invite you into Jesus, okay? That's pretty much anyone who's willing to raise your hand, that's about 100%, okay? That's, that's how God brings about his gospel, right? You're like, well, actually, nah, it wasn't a person, I read a book. Well, guess who wrote the book? A human, okay, right? It didn't just fall from the sky. Or, oh man, it was the song that I listened to and it just moved me. Well, guess who sang or wrote the song? A person. God uses people and it, he uses his church to advance his mission. And it's not nonprofit organizations, okay? Though they can be wonderful. It's the church. It's not government programs, even though they're terrible. It's the church, right? It's not random miracles, though he can use those. It's not, oh, we need to just pass this law. If we would just pass this law, 
we would see God's mission go forth. That's not how it works. Or, or a sign, you know, put more signs up everywhere. If we just hold the sign, people are going to say, no, it's God's people loving God's world and living in a way that both declares and displays the gospel. This is what we call a missionary. A missionary is a follower of Jesus sent to a particular place amongst a particular people for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom through making disciples. And guess what you are? You are a missionary. When we hear the term missionary, what do we think? We think about somebody who goes off to some foreign city, some foreign country. You know what Gresham is? It is a foreign city. It is the ends of the earth. It is the shadow lands. It is the forgotten place, right? It's the place where, you know, people ask where you're from. You used to say, oh, I'm from Portland. Like, it's trendy and cool. Now you're like Pacific Northwest, right? You know? <laughs> but, but look at this map. Look, this is your mission field. Like, like look, think about where you live on this map. Put a little dot there. That's your mission field. Think about where you work on this map. That's your mission field. Think about where your kids play soccer or your favorite coffee shop or where you want to spend time. God has a mission and a purpose for this city. He wants to see his son, Jesus. He wants to see him be king of this city. He wants to see people repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. And how is he going to do it? It's through you declaring, displaying the gospel so that people could experience it and be welcomed into his family. Just like he sent Paul to particular places to reach particular people, God has sent you here to this particular place in this particular moment of time. Here's the second thing that we need to take away. Missionaries see people, not projects. This is so important. See, we can start to rally these things and, and churches, they start rallying together like, man, we need to serve our city. And, and we do. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves cleaning up schools and not making disciples. We are not a community service organization. We are missionaries. There has to be a purpose. We have to be laying the groundwork for people to actually find salvation and hope. See, here's a little bit of the difference. Community service versus mission. Community service sees projects that need to get done, but mission sees people that need relationship. Paul, Paul knows their stories. He's calling them to so much more. Community service is a one-time event. We can accomplish and we just go home when it's over and be done with it. But mission is an ongoing relationship and partnership. This gal, Lydia, a lot of theologians would argue that Lydia, who gets saved here, it was her house that the Church of Philippi met in. She, she becomes this foundational member of the Church at Philippi. It's an ongoing relationship and partnership. Community service is a one-way transaction where it's really people of financial means and resources and they come and they, they give to those who have less. But mission is different. Mission is a two-way relationship that is about empowerment and calling them to discipleship, calling them to partnership. Notice at the end of the story, and Paul goes to the jailer's house and he baptizes their whole family. And then what happens? The jailer then serves them. It's the jailer who binds up their wounds. It's the jailer who feeds them. See, sometimes we go around and we're like, oh, people need us so bad. Like, you know, these broken, you know, lost people. If we would just show up and fix all their problems, you know, with our money and time, you know, and cleaning up the parks, then their lives would be together. No, it's a partnership. God has wired them and created them 
He, he wants to use them to then make disciples. He wants to use them to change and impact you. That's what humanity is. In community service, the end goal is surface level improvement. But mission, the end goal is actually making disciples. See, we have this pride in us that walks around saying like, oh, we're going to fix everything. And in that better than you attitude, it ends up doing more harm than good. People are not projects. They are image bearers with dignity and significance and they matter. And so we need to enter into relationships, walk with them. Yes, serve them. But they are eternal beings. It was interesting this summer. We did church in the park. One of my favorite events where we go outside. It's sunny, beautiful sunny day like today. And uh, people gather in the park and we get to worship and preach the gospel. And this year was crazy uh, because with everything happening with COVID restrictions, we didn't know, like, man, are people going to show up? Like, what's this going to be like? What's this dynamic? But we're going to have it anyway. And then those of you guys who participated know, like, it was insane. Like, we, like, filled the half of the park that we were on. We're like, okay, we gotta, we're already adapting for next year. Like, how do we create space uh, for more people and what it looks like? We had somewhere between 900 and 1,000 people there. And then we had this big party afterwards. It was interesting. A buddy of mine who's pastor in another church, he came and visited. And he just, he just like... He's like, you don't even understand how incredible it was to sit in a public park, to walk through the streets and just hear the gospel proclaimed over this city and to have hundreds of people gather to listen. But something fascinating happened at the end. We're starting to clean up and these two guys walk out and one of them's holding this giant speaker and the other has this microphone and they're just like, you know, yelling stuff in it. You know, it's one of those where you have to get closer to kind of hear. And and as I got closer, I'm like, what are they doing? I'm like, oh, they're like proclaiming the gospel. But here's what's fascinating. No one was listening. There was no one around them. The things that I heard them say were true, were theologically accurate. Now, let me ask you a question. How come two hours earlier, we had a group of a thousand people wanting to listen, and then they come with the same message, and no, and, and no one has listening ears? Let me tell you why. Because we, have, we had, at that point, seven and a half years of history of loving our city. Not just declaring the gospel, but actually displaying it. We see people. They could check their box and say, hey, we preached the gospel. Done. Let's go home. But we need to see people, not projects. We need to engage with them in a deep way. Missionaries, they need to see every circumstance as an opportunity for a relationship and every relationship as an opportunity for the gospel. It's it's a different lens that you start to to look through. So you could look at this story and be like, man, this is devastating that Paul and his companions are thrown in prison. But you know what he has in that moment? It's an opportunity. You know why that opportunity is there? It was because God wanted to save that jailer and his family. They needed salvation. And so every situation you find yourself in, you need a lens that, man, God is going to do some gospel opportunity here, where he brings you to work, where you set up and have a meeting, whatever coffee shop you walk into. Like, there is an opportunity there, somebody that needs Jesus, my, my son, those of you guys who know stories about my son, Dax, know he's like into creatures and all this kind of stuff. His kick this week is frogs. And so he's like, hey, dad, I'm going to write a book on amphibians. So we need to start studying them. I'm like, let's go. And so chapter one is frogs. And so this last week was spent like 
driving around our city, uh, collecting, like finding frogs. We went to a buddy's house and looked in their, you know, this little pond they had and we couldn't find one. And so we went across from his old school where he found one before and we got one. And then, uh, you know, Wednesday, uh, he's like, hey dad, let's go to Edgefield. I'm like, golf and beer, let's go, buddy. You know, how old are you? Eight, let's, let's make it happen. And he's like, no, 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 we're gonna, there's ponds on the golf course. So me and Dax, are, we sneak on the golf course to like, you know, here's your pastor, you know, sneak on the golf course to go rummage through these ponds and like look, look for these frogs. And we're, and we're like every, everywhere we go, it's just like this lens of like, where's the frog? That night we got in the hot tub, like, and I heard this noise and I look at literally a frog next to our hut. We've never had, we don't have, why do we have frogs at our house? Like the Lord bringeth, you know? And it's just like, and so Friday, I, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach, okay? I know I, I have a funeral to do, and I have a sermon to preach on Sunday. And, and uh, if you know anything about me, like I'm super ADD. I can only be in one place for a couple hours. Then I got to like move around. So uh, working at a coffee shop for a few hours, and then I was like, I need to, I'm going to go to Stolish Ponds. Like it's a place I love to walk, and, uh, and I'm going to think about my sermon and kind of write, write down some notes. So I'm walking around, and I'm, I'm in sermon mode, thinking about my sermon, walking, and all of a sudden in the corner of my eye, I see this like, this like, smaller like marshy pond and I just like slowly like start walking over there and then pretty soon I'm like hopping on rocks like looking under rocks I'm like like literally by myself like my son is not with me like and and I kid you not in my truck I have like these waiter boots and two nets two nets now like and like uh, uh, everywhere I go I'm like oh there could be a frog here right right <laughs> and I'm like what is happening to my life like why because my son loves frogs and wants them to be a part of our family he wants to bring them home and welcome them into our family and so I have this different lens that I see everything with we need a different lens as missionaries why because God loves people and he wants them to be a part of our family and so everywhere we go, we should be prepared saying, no, this is an opportunity. Like we are God's workmanship. He has good works that he wants us to walk in. He's prepared beforehand. And that we would look at people and say, no, this is an opportunity to declare and display the gospel. That we could actually, because people are hurting. And you know what they need? They need the gospel. People are wrestling with their identity. Who am I? Am I loved? Do I matter? And you know what they need? They need to be told they are created in God's image. They need to be reminded that they were knit together in their mother's womb. You get these young teenagers that are wrestling over like, am I created, was I made the wrong gender and I need to walk down this road? What are they vying for? They're begging for attention. They're begging to be accepted and loved. You know who has the answer to that? The church does. That they are not a mistake. That they are welcomed in, that they are loved, that they are cared for. God made them exactly who they are. Stop listening to this voice that somehow you were born wrong. No, they need the gospel. And who brings that? We do. We have to be a people that actually speak into one another's lives. When they're, when they're facing addiction, when, when people are overwhelmed with the pain, like we all experience this stuff. What do we need in those moments? We need a God who loves us regardless. He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so he will bring about sanctification and hope and healing. When people are wrestling through death and war and fear, what do they need? They need the hope of eternity. This is why we see every person 
as an opportunity to declare and display the gospel. But what happens is we have these barriers. Either one, we're so um, introspective, so self-focused that we're just focused on ourselves, or we see people and we think, yeah, but like never them. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting. Even look at these categories of people that Paul reaches out to. He reaches out to a person who's better off than him. Lydia, she's this brilliant entrepreneur. She has money. She has resources. And he doesn't think, oh, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm done, with, done with her. Or she doesn't need the gospel. He says, no, she needs the gospel. Next is a person who is difficult. This slave girl who annoys, uh, is annoying him. He's like, no, she needs healing. She needs hope. The third is a person you would classify as an enemy. That's what the Philippian jailer is. It's his enemy. He, he put him in shackles, and he's like, nope. I'm gonna. Are there people in your life you're refusing to see as a child of God that needs the hope of Jesus? Man, I, I have like family members that, you know what I think? I'm like, yeah, never them. Like, they would, like there's nothing I could say that would transform their heart. And that is so true. But that does not exclude the Holy Spirit from moving in them. And so we need to see these people through this lens. There are people are part of this church because you have been on mission. You have been loving people. I know families that are connected to this church because people like Heather Fitch, every time she goes to the Fairview Library, she's a missionary, not just a mom. I know there's people who have heard the gospel because when Nolan Jaden goes to bottle drop, he's not a pastor. He's a missionary seeing people through that lens as an opportunity. Like I have baptized single moms because I've been at a park and my kids are building relationship with their kids. And I, and I have to realize, no, I need to be on mission in this moment, not just checked out, looking at my phone, waiting for time, time to go home. No, we need this lens. Kristen Friend, who runs our church, right? You know why she's here? Because she went to a coffee shop. She went to Stomping Grounds. And one of the baristas were like, hey, you should go to Rise. She's like, I'll check it out. And she showed up. She's like, I need to organize this. And she did. Good job. <laughs> right? Thank you, Hannah Nobbs, for inviting Mrs. Friend. Countless of your friends are here because you shared stories on Instagram and social media. I don't belittle that. It's called digital evangelism. It's every opportunity at your fingertips. We need a lens that says, man, every single situation I'm in is an opportunity for relationship. And every relationship I make is an opportunity for the gospel. Lastly, to think like a missionary. A missionary understands their city responds with the gospel and leaves the rest to God. What do I mean by understanding your city? This is what, what Paul and Silas and Luke, this is what they do. Uh, they look, they actually pay attention. They show up and it says they were looking to see what's happening already. Hey, what, what kind of prayer gatherings? Where can we meet? Oh, there's, there's a group of gals that are gathered there. And what, what does relationship look like? And they listen they, they, they pay attention to people's stories. How else they, did they know what Lydia was doing? And then they enter into people's lives. We need to understand our city. And what do we need to understand? We need to understand the wounds that people have gone through. We need to understand the fears that they have, the needs. We need to understand their idols that can be called out. This is, this is what a missionary does. If you were going to another country, what would you do? You would study the culture and the language and what are the, what's happening there so you can then speak the gospel to it. You should do the same. 
You, you need to know our culture and our society. I, I heard it described as we live, you know, we live in this post-Christian culture. And so we try to approach it and we try to tell people about Jesus as if they've never heard about Jesus. People have heard about Jesus. They've heard the name of Jesus. You know what, what, what our culture's problem is? A lot of them grew up in the church, unhealthy, toxic churches, and they're wounded. And so you invite them to church and they're like, oh, I've done that before. I've heard it described like talking to somebody who is a teenager or a young adult who's never been married. And we're trying to tell them about the beauty of marriage. Like, man, that sounds amazing. But our culture is a culture who's been divorced. And we're trying to tell them about the beauty of marriage. And they're like, I've been wounded and I've been hurt. And so we need to understand our culture so we can understand their wounds and we can be empathetic and sympathetic to what they've gone through. But we can say, no, no, but that's not the way of Jesus. And what do we do in those moments? We, we respond with the gospel. We play our role by declaring the gospel and displaying the gospel. It has, it has to be both. When Jesus sends out his disciples, he says two things. He says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's got to be both. Preaching and teaching and sharing and declaring, that's declaring what the gospel is, that it's good news. But healing and serving and loving and feeding is how we display that the gospel is good news. So what is our role? We see people, we hear their wounds, and then we preach the gospel. We remind them who they are, and we call them to more. It's what a missionary does. But, but don't miss this last part because I think it's vital for us to understand theologically. We leave the rest to God because only God can transform hearts. See, what I was talking about earlier, this idea of, man, I see these people and I'm like, they never, they'd never come to God. doesn't matter the story. They'll never even show up to church. I, after the service at the 930, somebody came up to me and was like, yeah, my dad came uh, to church last week and I never thought he'd ever be there. And uh, I was like, what did he think? He's like, man, that was cool. <laughs> He's like, and honestly, in my heart, you know what I thought? Yeah, maybe, maybe it was good, but he'll never get saved. He'll never turn his heart to Jesus. He's like, you know what I needed to be reminded of today? That if God wants him, God gets him. God will draw hearts. Our responsibility is to declare the truth, to tell people that they are loved, it's God's responsibility to save them. Paul is reminding the church of Corinth this in 1 Corinthians 3. There's this argument over like who's better. People are like, ah, like I'm team Paul. And others are like, I'm with Apollos. Others are, I'm with Cephas. And, and this is what Paul says. He says, I planted, like I planted the church. I planted the gospel. But guess what? Apollos watered. But here's what we need to know. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, for each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field. We are God's building. He's saying there's a partnership between us and God. And we declare the gospel. And we display the gospel. But it's God who saves people. That should give you great hope and joy. 
Like that should bring meaning to every conversation that you have because you never know how God is going to use it. And so be a missionary. Like invite people in. Share your story of transformation. And don't expect that you're going to be the person who saves them because you're not. You're not that good. You're not that articulate. But that should give you great comfort that God is, that he can use your sloppy, messy, fumbled words to bring about a transformation, a rebirth, a renewal in their heart, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so we need to be a people who play our role. Like imagine if our church actually started to live this out. Like what would our city look like? Like imagine if people move to Gresham, move to Troutdale, move to Boring and Damascus, and they're like, there's something different here. And what's different is the church is actually being the church. The church is loving people. The church is offering hope and healing. Like imagine those kids your, your kids go to school with or play on the baseball team with. Like imagine if they were offered hope and not just video games. What if they were offered a life of meaning and purpose and not just addiction? Imagine if you looked all around our city and we saw foster families loved, like the orphans and widows of our community actually cared for, that through the church, the hungry were fed and clothed, that through the church, addicts were loved and treated as sick people who needed help, not criminals who need prison. Like, that's what the church is called to do. Like, what if the church started calling men to be men? To rise up and care for and protect and lead their family with courage. Not just disappear when things get hard. Not abandon their children so we have another fatherless generation. What if we, as the church, called men to be men? What if as the church, we were the voice empowering the women of our city, saying, no, you are gifted and called by God to use your gifts, to serve, to be courageous and strong. That would transform a city. This is what we're called to. What if the church stopped looking around and complaining, and be like, ah, this is really hard. Like, people don't like us. People disagree. We're, we're being persecuted. And what if we looked at Jesus and said, Jesus loved people so much he was willing to endure suffering on their behalf. And so therefore, we will love them too. And we will suffer on their behalf. You know what would happen is God would be glorified. He would get glory as more and more people began to recognize Jesus' place on the throne as the king of their lives and the king of our city. This is what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to reign. This is what it looks like for as for in Gresham as it is in heaven. Jesus, would you build this? Lord, you are commissioning us. You have sent us as your missionaries. I'm so grateful for the rooms, for the people in this room. How many of them have been living this out? Lord, would you just inspire us and call us to even more everywhere we go? Would we be a church that sees people, not projects? Would we see every opportunity, every circumstance just filled with the potential of relationship? 
And would we see every relationship as an opportunity to declare and display the gospel? Would we listen to people? Would we know their story? Would we care for them? And would we speak the gospel truth of your love and your grace back to them? And then leave it to your hands to move and to redeem and to save. Lord, would this city be completely flipped upside down because your church and your people live in such a powerful way? I pray this in your name. Amen.